you got a Bible, open it up to Acts. We've been spending the uh, last few months studying through this book uh, that's all about f- the foundation of the church, the birth of the church, and how it how it's been formed and uh, came together. And uh, the first part of Acts really is a lot of Peter, uh, and the second part of Acts it shifts more to the ministry of of Paul. And we're going to look at, at a part of that today in Acts chapter thirteen. Uh, for me, as a, as a pastor who's managed to stay in ministry for a relatively lengthy period of time. Uh, let's see, I've been here about uh, 12 years and, and has acquired some degrees uh, over my life and, and who just, you know, generally likes people. Uh, I've been given the opportunity to do some really cool things. Uh, one of the things that, that I've uh, got the privilege of doing is that Western Seminary has a, a branch campus in Sacramento and, and I've got to teach classes there. And a few years ago, they asked me to teach this class that's like, it's called ministry formation, but really it's a class that's designed to help seminary students as they transition from the academic world into the real world of ministry. And you, there's a difference sometimes between when you spend all day long studying about things in theory and then actually going into a real church and, and practicing those things. Unfortunately, here in, in uh, Sacramento, because it's kind of more of a commuter campus, most of the students who are in that are already in active ministry. And so it's, it's for the most part, us sitting around talking about uh, ministry. But the purpose really is, is to make sure that those students are ready and equipped for the work of ministry that they feel called to. Another cool thing that I get to do is that a, a few years ago, I took over the ordination process for our association. So anytime uh, anybody in any of the churches uh, in our association in this area, which is which is Northern California and Nevada, wants to be ordained, uh, they give me a call and I help walk them through that process, uh, which is a fun thing uh, to do. And, and that process involves a couple of things. The first part is, is uh, I ask them about their call. Why do you think you're called to ministry? And who told you that you were called to ministry? And what does that look like in, in your life? And then we ask them theological questions to make sure that they aren't heretics uh, and to make sure that their theology is kind of in keeping with uh, conservative Baptist theology. And then we ask them about practical ministry questions. How would you handle these different ministry situations? And we look to make sure that, that they're going to deal with them in a way that's biblically informed and is, and is gracious. And then we recommend to the ordaining church that they uh, follow through with the ordination process there. But one of the things that I say right at the beginning is that it's not the association that ordains men for gospel ministry. That's We're just helping the church as a resource to vet them. And it's really not even the church that ordains them for ministry. It's God that ordains them. We're just trying to help confirm that calling of God on their life. And I'm a huge fan of those things. I'm a huge fan of the work that the seminary does to help prepare and confirm the call. And I'm a huge supporter of the whole ordination process, which is the reason why I'm, I happily help out in those areas. Because I think it's important to evaluate and confirm our calling from God. And especially with those who feel called to, to teaching and, and, to, and to leadership within the church. There are some who have been called by God to vocational ministry. God, God calls some to be pastors, right? Or, or theology teachers or missionaries or, or to, to work in the church 
in some way. But the call to ministry is not something that is confined to paid pastors. There's a, a wide range of responsibilities and needs and areas of service within the church and, and really a very, very small amount of those are paid jobs. Majority of it is, is volunteers who are serving God in the church. But the Bible makes it clear that every single believer, every single Christian, everybody who's been given the gift of the Holy Spirit also has a calling. They have work that God has prepared beforehand that they would do. They have a God-ordained job. Which is scary, right? I mean, I know what I'm talking about is that is you, you got every one of you has been ordained by God to do something. And it's not all the same thing, but it's something. And it's, it's important for us to try and figure out what that is. And that process is, is not always easy. I think, I think for every Christian, uh, to some degree, we wrestle with what is God's calling on our life. I mean, I know that, that at different points in my life, I certainly have. Here in Acts chapter 13, we see an example of the calling of God in the life of Barnabas and Saul and even, even John Mark. So let's, let's read through that, look at that a little bit and talk about what, what that calling of God is, is like for them and what it might look like for you. I just want to look at the first five verses in Acts chapter 13. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there, uh, prophets and teachers. Barnabas, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their helper. So we see right at the beginning here, this church in Antioch is... It's a cool church, first of all. I mean, it's, it's got a lot of cool things going for it. It's, it's, uh, in Syria, in that, in that region. It's a Gentile church, mostly Gentiles. Uh, it's a larger city, but this is a fairly well-established church. It's been planted and then equipped with good leaders. They have, they have, uh, teachers and prophets there that are helping them grow in their knowledge of God. It's a highly integrated church, right? You, you see this list of people right there in the beginning, and it's all these different countries and races and economic backgrounds. And even with all the diversity, they are unified behind a common Savior. This is a church that is missions-minded and, and gospel-centered, serious about carrying out the Great Commission. And so here, they're all together, worshiping, praising God, praying, fasting, 
which, which is a sign, that the fact that they're fasting is a sign that they're earnestly seeking God for something. They really want to know something. And I think they were, they really wanted to know, okay, God, we want to send people out to share the gospel. How do we do that? What does that look like? Who should it be? They were asking God for guidance and direction. And as they were praying, the Spirit of God answered, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. The calling of Barnabas and Saul and, and, for, and for you and for me is first and foremost an inward calling. It's, it's first and foremost the calling from God. It starts as a calling of God to salvation, to faith and belief in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's a calling to be uh, adopted as, as His child. And, and it comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and, it, and from that point on, it comes with this growing desire to, to love Him and to serve Him and to follow Him with everything that we've got because, because we recognized where we were headed and how far away we were from Him. And we understand how God has brought us close now. So there's this desire in our heart to serve. Uh, Barnabas and Saul were both uh, called by God. Barnabas was a Jew. He was a Levite. We don't get his conversion story, but we know he was converted early on, not too long after day of Pentecost, maybe that day. Uh, he first shows up in Acts chapter 4 when he sells a piece of land and just gives it all to the church. Because right out the get-go, he's a guy that that wants to serve and is committed to the church. His, his real name is Joseph, right? But they, his nickname is Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Because he just wanted to help. Just wants to help and encourage. We know more about Saul's conversion experience, right? Saul is a, a Pharisee who is an enemy of Christianity, wants to destroy it and stamp it out. He's got letters that allow him to arrest people in Damascus. He's on the road to Damascus when Jesus shows up, knocks him off his donkey, blinds him. There, Paul discovers that Jesus is alive, very much alive, and totally God. And in there Jesus tells him, I've got some work for you to do. That conversion of Paul was 10 years ago. Uh, chapter 13 is about 10 years later. And during that time, Paul has spent that time uh, meeting with the other uh, uh, apostles and learning more about Jesus and, and practicing his teaching and growing in his faith and being prepared by God for this work of ministry. It wasn't just like he got saved and then the next day they're thrusting him into this, this role. No, he'd spent time preparing. Both Barnabas and Saul are men who feel deeply that they've been called by God to serve him and they want him to have their whole life. But even with that strong sense of calling, they don't want to take anything for granted. And so they get together with the whole church and they pray and they fast and they listen. And the calling of God is clear. 
So it starts with this inward call of God, but it's a, it's always outwardly confirmed. God's calling is often outwardly confirmed through people in our lives and experiences that we have in different ways. Uh, here in Acts 13, it's the whole church, right? The whole church is praying and seeking God's guidance. And, and God says, yeah, Barnabas and Saul makes it super, super clear. Sometimes I wish that God was still just that clear. Just give me names, first names even. That'd be fine. Who? Uh, but but in this case, God God makes it really evident. God made it clear for this particular mission, He wanted Barnabas and Saul, and so the church places their hands on them and and sends them out. And that that act of placing their hands on them is a, is an act of identification. Here, the church is saying, "You're you're not alone. We are with you as you go. We're going to support you, and we're going to help you, and we're going to pray for you, and we're right there with you." when you're out there serving God. Part, part of what I do through the seminary and also through the ordination process is this, is this confirmation, this outward confirmation step. But, but there's going to be, there's going to be lots of different people in your life who will come alongside and help confirm whatever that calling of God is in your life. You, we just have to kind of listen and pay attention. For me, I had a teacher in junior high who, who invested time in me and gave me, gave me this love for the Word of God, encouraged me to serve. I had opportunities, even as a high schooler, uh, to, to teach and to serve. I had great mentors as I went through school that, that helped steer and direct me. When I started college, I wanted to be a youth pastor, but fortunately God cured me of that. <laughs> And then I thought, okay, I want to be a seminary teacher. That'd be great. I'd be a professor of some sort. And, and it was, it was in seminary that one of my teachers set me aside and said, I think, I think pastoral ministry might be what God's calling you to because look at all these papers you've written. They're all about church. Uh, and then other professors that helped to confirm that calling. When we were in this, in the process of, of, uh, finding a replacement for the church out in Esparto. Pa- Pastor Henry started the church out there, but after a few years, he wanted to, to uh, step down and have somebody else take over. And so when we were looking for who that was going to be, I can remember sitting down with, uh, with Chris Nordstrom and saying, Chris, I think God has called you into pastoral ministry. I mean, he, he, he had been serving God faithfully for years and years and years, uh, teaching and leading in all kinds of different ways, and it was just evident that he had this heart for people, this real love for the Word of God and for people. He went home and told his wife, do you know what Andy said? And she said, yeah, it's about time you recognize God's calling on your life. Yes. So a lot of time, our calling will be confirmed by our spouse or our family or our friends or your pastor. I Listen, I promise I'll make this promise to you now. If I ever come to you and say, hey, I would really love you to serve in this way, it's, it's not going to be because I'm desperate and you have a pulse, okay? I promise <laughs> that it's going to be because I've prayed about it and thought about it and I really feel like this is an area that that you would be good at. But listen, I don't know all of you well enough to be able to always make that assessment. Uh, if you feel like you're being called by God to serve in, in a particular way, come and talk to me about it and let's, let's pray about it and let's figure that out. 
The calling of God to serve Him is it's an inward yearning to follow Him and to obey Him. It's a burden that God, God puts on our hearts. It's outwardly confirmed and encouraged through the people around us. And it is exciting. It, it is exhilarating. Even if the job isn't something that's like upfront and flashy or even if it's a behind the scene things, even if it's a small thing, it's still enjoyable because it's something that matters. Because we're participating in something that's bigger than ourselves. Because we're doing something that we know has eternal value. It's, it's an opportunity for us to step out of our, out of our regular jobs, which we need to be able to pay the bills and eat. It's a way to step out of our, our often mindless hobbies and into something that is truly valuable. And a lot of times, whatever that thing that we're stepping into, whatever that area of the service that we're in, we feel inadequate for, for a couple of reasons. We feel inadequate for it because it's, it's big. Like the church is a big thing. Like there's consequences behind it. It's, it's so important. What if I screw it up? What if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not holy enough? I think often we feel inadequate for the task that God has called us to, right? That can't just be me. It's others too, right? Some of you feel that way. But I think that's part of the deal. I think the part of the reason for that is to force us to then go and lean on Him more. It's to force us into prayer and into trusting God and it's to cause us to learn how to, how to serve in a way that's under the power of God's Holy Spirit and not just our own talents and abilities. When I'm, when I'm evaluating people helping with the confirmation process, part of the, what I look for is that heart of humility and dependence on God. I, I'm looking for them to feel inadequate. Because it's the people who seem like they've got it all figured out and they're relying on their own abilities and personality and that, that worry me. So the kind of ministry where we are stepping out in faith and doing things that are maybe beyond our natural ability is fun and exciting and, and scary in a good way. Because it forces us to trust God more. Okay, so Barnabas and Saul, they're selected for this missionary journey. Whole churches behind them, supporting them. They get to travel to someplace new and fun. Uh, they're heading to the island of Cyprus. And one commentary said this was known as the Happy Isle because it was beautiful. It's like taking a mission trip to Hawaii, which now that I've read this, I know you can do it. So, yeah, <laughs> I'd have to work that in to the budget. Uh. It was a nice place, but it was also a needy place. They needed the gospel. And, and so maybe it was the, the excitement of, of the calling or the thought of getting to travel to a cool place. Maybe just the romance of the whole idea of missions that led John Mark to say, I want to go too. I, I, sign me up. John Mark is Barnabas' cousin, someone who had, who had helped out in ministry in the past, and he is Stoked. He is excited to join them. He, he wants to go along. Uh, at first, he's excited. Uh, 
Because serving God is fun. It's fun and it's exciting and it's stretching and it's cool to take a risk and lean hard into God and feel like He's carrying you. And ministry is fun, but it's also really challenging. It's also hard. I think that's the part that maybe catches us off guard sometimes. Because I, I think, sometimes we think that because we're working for God and because we're serving in the church with other Christians and because we're doing what He's called us to do, that everybody's always going to be super happy to see us and very nice and very accepting and everything's going to run smoothly and we're never going to face any obstacles or opposition. And that it's just going to be rainbows and lollipops all day long. But here's, here's the thing, here's the reality. When you start living your life in service of God and doing things that, that matter in a way that you're, you're trusting Him and you're obeying Him, when you start living your life in a way that impacts the kingdom of God, then there's a really good chance that your life will get harder because there is an enemy who wants to stop you from doing things that matter. There's an enemy that wants nothing more than for us to be like comfy on the sidelines doing nothing, ineffective. But the the moment you start to live your life for God and serve Him, the enemy is going to try and knock you down and discourage you. Jesus Himself said, they don't treat the servants better than the Master. If they mistreated Me, they're going to mistreat you. The Bible over and over again is really clear that what we can expect as we serve God is for it to be hard. We're going to face persecutions and insult and abuse and scorn. It's not something that's going to make us well-loved by this world. Serving God is, is tough because we have an enemy that wants to stop us. We, we, we live in a world that is just opposed to Christianity and, and um, more and more so every day. And then, to make things even worse, serving involves people. Messy, sinful, selfish people. Have you guys noticed that? It would be so easy if it wasn't for the people. (laughs) Right? And we struggle. We struggle with differences of opinions and conflict and different ideas. And even Christian people, even good, solid believers who've been called by God and are on the same mission struggle. I mean, we're going to see this all throughout these missionary journeys. But even here in chapter 13, it's evident. Look, look at verse, verse six. They start on their missionary journey and they're excited and they're heading to Cyprus. And when they had gone through the whole island. Okay, so at this point, they've traveled around the entire island of Cyprus. And I guess nothing important happens because they don't say anything until they get to the far side. Then they get to Paphos. They found a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the Word of God. But Elymas, uh, the magician, for that, that's what his name is translated, was opposed to them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, 
Okay, so f- for no reason, Paul or Saul's name changes to Paul right here. So take note of that. <laughs> and probably the most likely reason is because Saul was his Hebrew name, his Jewish name. And, and really at this point in chapter 13, his ministry shifts from being uh, towards Jewish people to sharing the gospel to Gentiles. And Paul is his Roman Gentile name. And so from now on, it's Paul. Let's see, where was I? Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will will be blind and not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. And Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Okay, well, that's not the most exciting start to a missionary journey uh, ever. Uh, They preach here to the synagogues, hike around the whole island. The only real uh, thing of note is that they, they meet this guy who's a false prophet who, who keeps steering people away from the truth. They, they get an invitation by the proconsul, which is like the mayor of the town, to come and share, but they have to deal with this guy who's just opposed to them, doesn't want to let them, keeps telling lies, even though they're trying to tell the truth. And, and so Paul rebukes the guy and he goes blind and the mayor is stunned and believes. After that, Barnabas and Paul say, okay, let's, let's leave this place and, and go over to Perga. Perga is a place that's known for treacherous cliffs that are filled with robbers. It's like a 175-mile journey to get there. And so far, on this super exciting missionary journey, John Mark has hiked all around an island, had one super awkward confrontation with this false prophet, and has seen a ground total of one guy get saved. And now, you want me to go to some place that's far less pretty, way more dangerous, and, and, and way harder to hike? Nope. <laughs> I don't think I want to do that. John Mark says, I'm out. I can't hang. I, I'm going home. And I don't know exactly why John Mark leaves, but I do know that Paul doesn't agree with it. Paul feels abandoned. Just a couple uh, chapters over in in chapter 15, this is after the first missionary's journey's done and they're back home and they've shared about it. After some days, Paul says to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord. See how they are. Barnabas wanted to take... John called Mark along with them also. But, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Okay, so part of me feels... Ah, uh, a sense of relief when I read that. Okay, it's, 
It's not just me. (laughs) There's other places that deal with conflict and personal opinions and disagreements. But here's a couple of guys who love each other. they They have served together for years and years and years. Both totally committed to the work of ministry. Both called by God. But they get a, they get split apart by this difference of opinion over John Mark. Oh man, so much drama and conflict in the Bible, right? You didn't even know how much was here, but it's almost like these are real people engaged in real ministry. The story does have a happy ending though, right? Because near the end of Paul's life while in prison, he writes to Timothy and says, Hey, get, get John Mark and bring him. He's very useful for me in ministry. So eventually, Mark redeems himself, and Paul chills out about the whole thing a little bit, and everybody forgives and loves each other. But I'm sure that, that Paul, as he headed out on this second missionary journey without Barnabas, was sad. And I'm sure Barnabas was kind of bummed out about not having Paul by his side. So I said, I don't want us to think that ministry is necessarily going to be easy or conflict-free or personality-free or headache-free or heartache-free. It's not the reality. It's hard work. It's emotional work. It's frustrating work at times. But it's, it's worth it. It is the most rewarding work we could do. At their next stop, which would have been a place called uh, uh, Pisidian Antioch, on the edge of the region of of Galatia, they preach in the synagogue there again uh, and are invited back a second week. And then a third week, it says almost the whole town shows up to hear. But again, Jewish leaders are, are opposed to them and speak out against them. Look at Acts 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. So Paul says to the Jews, I had to tell you first, but since you have rejected the gospel, I'm taking it to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. They shook off the dust of their feet in protest against them, went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Even after all they've been through, even after the the long stretches of nothing and open opposition and limited fruit and difficult travel and abandonment by Mark and uh, most likely illness on the part of Paul because he mentions in the book of Galatians being sick and even with all of the hardships that came with this trip, they see this huge wave of Gentiles get saved. And they see the Word of God catching fire. And they leave for the next region filled with joy. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Exhausting and hurting and stretched, bruised, but filled with joy at what they see God doing. 
That's what you and I have been called to. Exciting work, hard work, stretching work, work that constantly requires us to lean on God, and work that is so worth it. So rewarding. Don't live your life sitting on the sidelines doing easy, worthless things. Submit your life to that calling of God and do things that matter for all eternity. I, I got again, we, that's our desire is to serve you with everything that we got. We want to be people who are faithful to you and our speech and in our action. And Lord, we recognize that you have called us, that there's, there's work that you have for us to do and help us to know what that means, Lord. Give us an answer to that as we, as we pray and as we seek, Lord. Direct us, teach us, and show us exactly what you want us to do. Regardless of what that area of service is, Lord, help us to do it in a way that is faithful and committed, trusting you for all of it. Lord, make us strong. Help us to persevere through the difficult times. Help us to not give up. Thank you again, God for those people that You brought into our lives who didn't give up and who shared the Gospel, who endured hardship for our sake. Help us to be willing to do that for others as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.